And besides, I'm not gonna be the, the only presenter here. So let me just share my screen. Hope you see my screen. Uh, we, uh, basically, if you have some, some feedback or some questions, uh, for me, it's the best if you use basically the chat uh, because I'm not quite sure what, what happened basically uh, with my with my audio settings. Uh, it looks that way actually that in Hungary it's like uh, 40 degrees at the moment. Uh, so it might affected my lab laptop, uh, unfortunately, a little bit. So perhaps in the meantime, I will try to speak a little bit uh, with my with my audio settings, but nevertheless, I think it's it's gonna be okay. I mean, at least you can hear me, so uh, you can chat me, so I can answer questions. So I hope it's it's going to be it's going to be uh, working. Um, David, thanks a lot for your help. So basically, we are we are live stream on YouTube. Uh, and then again, I'm not sure if my audio perfectly works. So anything working or not working, uh, just drop me something basically on, on chat. Uh, so that's the best way if, if we can communicate somehow. Anyway, so basically uh, this is Hyperledger Budapest. Uh, this is a special event actually, a little bit. Uh, we try to set up one special meetup basically on the topic of CBDC and DLT combination. So basically CBDC is the central bank digital currency. And then we, we're gonna investigate a little bit in the direction uh, if CBDC can be realized with a distributed ledger technology. And besides, you're not just gonna have um, technical presentations, but we will have like uh, two less technical and a little bit more economical presentations uh, based on based on different CBDC uh, properties and economical impacts. Um, it's again, it's just a meetup. So feel free anytime to, to ask me again or ask any of the presenters. I guess again, for me, you can ask in chat because I have some, some difficulties, unfortunately. So uh, I instead of speaking much, uh, I would like just to introduce our first presenter, uh, Adam. Adam is a product owner uh, at OTP uh, Bank, and he's he's a CBDC researcher as well. And as far as I know, he he leads basically a team a team of, of researchers and engineers as well in the direction of of, of CBDC research and well, hopefully slowly implementation as well. So basically, uh, let me just try to stop my share, uh, screen share, and basically, Adam, the floor is yours. So let me just take a look if you can take over the session and then, and then continue the presentation. All right, thanks. Um... Right, it, it uh, seems like I have the permission to share my screen, so you should be able to see my screen now, uh, hopefully. So hello and good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adam Redkesh. Uh, I'm an IT product owner at the OTP Bank. Uh, I work with a senior developer team and uh, we build uh, distributed core banking systems uh, like the instant payment system uh, in Hungary. 
For more than a year, I've started to engage in the work of researching the design and implementation best practices of CBDCs, um, mostly wholesale CBDCs, specializing in, in cross-border interbank settlement. And uh, I believe that's why I'm here uh, today, uh, because today's topic is uh, the future of cross-border interbank payments, um, the wholesale CBDCs. So let's dive into it, if I can switch to the next slide. Okay. Uh, so today's agenda goes this way. First, I'm going to give you a quick overview about uh, CBDCs in general. Then I will show you the current uh, ongoing wholesale CBDC projects in the world. Uh, we will see the reasons behind the sudden interest in wholesale CBDC development. And uh, after that, uh, answer the question, if these CBDC developments really worth it, so let's take a look at CBDCs in general. Um, at the moment, the public can hold money issued by the central bank in the form of banknotes, but only banks and certain other financial institutions can hold electronic central bank money uh, in the form of central bank reserves, of course. Alongside these conventional means of payment, uh, we are living in the world of uh, ever-growing uh, cryptocurrencies for a decade or so. And uh, CBDC aims to bring in the best of both worlds, the convenience uh, and, uh, and the security of digital forms like cryptocurrencies and the regulated and reserve-backed uh, money circulation of the traditional banking system. Um, needless to say, but the particular central bank or the other competent monetary authority of the country will be solely reliable for its uh, um, CBDC operations. Although there is no exact definition of central bank digital currencies, one can say that uh, CBDC is a secure digital instrument, a store of value, and an official unit of account. There are two types of CBDCs distinguished by their availability. The broadly available retail CBDCs used and held by households and businesses to make payments and uh, basically store value, and wholesale CBDCs used by financial institutions. Uh, this one could be the next, uh, uh, the new unit of interbank and security settlement. And that's what we will be uh, talking about in the next uh, minutes. Uh, I believe the best way to interpret where CBDCs exactly stand in the world of different money forms is the money flower taxonomy, as you can see here. It has four categories or, or attributes. Uh, um, is, is the money widely accessible is the first one. Is it digital? Is it issued by a central bank? And is the access token-based or account-based? We can find cash and bank deposits on the left, the usual assets that we use most in our lives or just cash if you're in Germany. Uh, cryptocurrencies are also on the table at the bottom of the figure. Um, and uh, and now we arrive to the uh, central bank reserves in the upper middle part of the figure. I'd like to draw your attention to this one because it is issued by a central bank. It is digital, so technically, technically we should call it a CBDC, but we won't. Central bank reserves represent the status quo, the, the account-based money. Um, these are units of domestic interbank settlement existing in siloed RTGS real-time cross-settlement systems, and they are totally incapable of executing cross-border payments. Um, so finally, as you can see, there are three CBDC categories on the figure from left to right. Um, central bank digital currency, the first one, it is an account-based uh, central bank money. 
um, how should I put it? Um, imagine that tomorrow you wake up and walk in a central bank uh, local branch to open an account um, instead of in a commercial bank. The money that you'd have in that account is uh, this CBDC. The People's Bank of China is likely to use this form, but uh, Daniel will talk about it later. Central bank digital tokens, the retail ones is the next. It is broadly accessible, uh, but unlike the previous one, uh, the tokenized retail CBDC's access is granted through CBDC wallets. Therefore, central banks don't have the pressure to open local branches, recruit clerks, and uh, I don't know, expand their operations. The CBDC units stored on those wallets are like the digital representation of physical cash. Um, the Bahamas Send Dollar Project uses this form of CBDC. And uh, last but not least, horses CBDC tokens. Uh, that's today's topic. Um, it, is, um, it is differentiated in excess from the previous one. Commercial banks and financial intermediaries are eligible to hold these CBDC tokens to execute domestic, cross-border payments, and uh, security settlement on a payment versus payment uh, delivery basis. And uh, why is all the fuss around CBDCs? Check this map out. As you can see from the east to west, a lot of countries are actively developing wholesale CBDC proof of concepts and uh, also initiating pilot projects. Most notably, there are four big wholesale CBDC projects taking place right now. Project Stella between the European Central Bank and uh, the Bank of Japan. Project uh, Jasper Obin between the Bank of Canada and the Monetary Authority of Singapore. It is based on uh, interlinking distinct CBDC systems using hash time-locked contracts. Uh, Project Aber between the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia is a joint CBDC system with a common synthetic currency pegged to the US dollar. And last, Project Internal Lion Rock between the Bank of Thailand and the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Uh, a common CBDC payment corridor was established uh, using uh, quarter notes in this one. Um, these bilateral projects serve, as, serve the same purpose, to test the limits of DLT technology and to build an exceedingly efficient cross-border payment system. So why are those projects really necessary? Uh, as you may know, currently international money transfers are handled by, by correspondent banks. You initiate a transaction at your local bank and, and wait for the money and the miracle to, to arrive uh, to its uh, uh, destined destina destination. Uh, during that process, multiple commercial banks handle your transaction. Um, and, and why is it a problem? Um, first of all, the lack of transparency. Uh, they don't provide real-time data of the transaction. So once your money is out of your home country's jurisdiction, you don't know where exactly it is in the world. Uh, and the most annoying thing is, in my opinion, that there are no preliminary calculations of the final transaction fee. So you'll be charged with a random correspondent banking fee afterwards. Um, and moreover, uh, different monetary jurisdictions have their own real-time gross settlement systems, uh, which means those systems typically have different operating hours, uh, which means limited uh, uh, availability. For example, if you initiate a transaction on, on, let's say, on Thursday, that arrives to the target country on late Friday, then you'll have to wait for the domestic transaction settlement in the target country till Monday, 
when the local RTGS system is uh, open again for settlement. Uh, also, limited interoperability. These RTGS systems were built around 20 years ago with those times uh, technical capabilities. They use different transaction message standards and protocols, so they are not really great in working together. The idea of connecting RTGS systems to make uh, cross-border settlement better would leave a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Um, uh, costly correspondent banking system. Like I mentioned, that transparency issues, all correspondent banks charge the international transactions with their correspondent service fees to cover the cost of their presence in a foreign country and to make some profit, but that goes without saying. Uh, which is okay, uh, but if you accumulate the multiple bank fees, uh, when multiple intermediary banks are involved, a good deal of money is to be expected. And last but not least, usage of legacy systems. Um, most core banking systems are outdated. Banks need to switch to new ones, and um, uh, compatibility with CBDC systems requires the usage of systems built with competitive technology and built to last which is easier said than done, let's be honest. Um, these core systems uh, change uh, projects usually requires years to finish. But of course, the parallel maintenance of legacy and new generation systems comes with high operational expenditures. So these are the main challenges of current uh, cross-border payment systems uh, that needs to be resolved. Let's see how OCS CBDC projects perform. Um, all pilot projects operate with lower operational expenditures than the correspondent banks. So is the CBDC um, the answer to these pain points? Um, I believe that they are because um, as, as, uh, as you can see by Jasper Urbin and Aber project, they can provide real-time transaction status and preliminary fee calculations. So it is much better to know beforehand how much the transaction will cost and uh, where is my money in the world. All pilot projects can work 24-7 uh, with high availability, unlike the current systems. All pilot projects operate with lower operational expenditures, like I said, and uh, interoperability is a cornerstone uh, of CBDC development. Whether it is an interlinkage solution, a multiple CBDC, or a synthetic CBDC, the key is to make the country's CBDC systems work together and allow others to easily join to them. Uh, on the other hand, there are implementation aspects that must be taken into consideration when designing a CBDC. Not every economic area needs a CBDC, uh, like the European Union. Target 2, the RTGS system of the European Central Bank, serves the Eurozone, I, I think, perfectly. You can make Euro payments to another European country within four hours for the price of a simple domestic transaction. Uh, the benefits of a wholesale CBDC system for, the, for payment settlement would be marginal, really. Uh, and uh, uh, choosing proper technology stack. There are three main DLT payment market infrastructure firms in the world uh, that the central banks uh, previously examined. All of them have their own constraints and benefits, and not even one of them is perfect for the local wholesale CBDC pilots. Um, so we have a lot to work on. As far as I'm aware, building a joint OSE um, CBDC system is as much of a political question as a payment market infrastructure efficiency question. The government's full political support is needed uh, behind these projects to deliver the expected results, but Daniel will talk about it uh, um, in the next session. Uh, 
So just to summarize what we've been uh, talking about, um, current cross-border payment services have significant pain points that the new generation CBDC system should answer. Wholesale CBDCs could be certainly better with lower maintenance costs, more settlement opportunities, real-time transaction tracking and, uh, and transparent operation. And wholesale CBDCs could open the door to new economic areas like the One Belt, One Road initiative. So all in all, uh, thank you for your attention. And uh, now I will pass the word to Danielle, if you can hear me. If not, yes. then... Yeah, yeah, thank you, Adam. Um, so uh, um, do we have questions now or, or we will return to the Q&A session in the end? Uh, okay, so <laughs> let's choose the other one. So I share my screen and uh, thank you very much, uh, Adam. Yeah, just yeah awesome. uh, thanks for the great presentation. Uh, so in the meantime, actually, I, I my, my microphone still doesn't work, but uh, I can hear you guys on YouTube. So I would just ask actually like, like two more minutes if there's is if there's questions uh, for this presentation, perhaps, and then after that, I would propose to continue. Yeah, um, can we uh, can we post questions uh, not in writing too? Sorry. Hey, Daniel. Um, yes. Uh, I'm sorry. So, uh, could you repeat it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we post questions orally too? That was my question. I would have one question with respect. Yeah, absolutely, to absolutely. I can hear you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Great. Hi all, uh, I'm Imre Kocic from the Budapest University of Technology and Economics. Uh, it was a very nice presentation. What struck me a bit was that uh, we saw uh, the choice of technology stack uh, as an issue with WCBDCs, and all we saw there were distributed ledger technologies. Does the banking world equate uh, WCVDCs with DLTs, or is there still uh, some design room or uncertainty? So uh, to simplify, one can create a wholesale CVDC system in a centralized way too. Is that off the table or not completely? Uh, I'm sorry, Adam will answer the question. <laughs> I'm Daniel. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the question. Um, yes, of course, um, not 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 uh, centralized ledgers and and uh, account based uh, access form are not off the table. Of course, uh, it's just the central banks uh, in the last uh, one or two years initiated these pilot projects to experiment with uh, distributed ledger technology. But that should not mean that uh, uh, they've uh, chosen this uh, technology stack solely. But uh, what we know for sure that um, the the project documentations and the project publications um, um, are about uh, using DLT te technology from different aspects for different business use cases, and uh, none of them were built on um, on a centralized ledger technology. It could work, of course. It could it could be very uh, um, uh, scalable. Uh, it could be proven to be the the best solution. But but now um, most central banks. 
try to uh, build up a new payment market infrastructure on DLT technology. And that's what these projects were about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thanks. I'm personally researching the retail side, but uh, just wanted to ask this with respect to the wholesale part. Thanks. Do you have any questions uh, related to whole CBDC systems? So, awesome. Uh, if, if there's no more question, I mean, we're gonna have, of course, basically a longer discussion around at the, at the end of the presentation than at the end of the like free presentations. Uh, but if there's like no more questions, I would like to introduce our next, next speaker, Daniel. He's a head of distribution at, at Portfolio Financial and, and again a CBDC researcher and, and enthusiast. Uh, so Daniel, basically the, the floor is yours uh, for your presentation. Okay, thank you, Daniel. So thanks for having me today. Um, uh, it's a pleasure uh, being here. So I share my screen again, and um, yeah, here it is. Uh, hopefully you can see the screen. Yeah, so Adam had great thoughts about wholesale CBDC, and I will refer to uh, many of them in my presentation. So yeah, I started analyzing uh, CBDCs from a global macroeconomic perspective, and um, 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 and, uh, it is because I, I come from an investment uh, background and um, yeah, we, uh, we managed investment funds, but uh, I can see huge uh, technological transformation uh, going through with the uh, central bank digital currencies. And uh, but now this uh, this uh, this impact uh, this impacts the financial markets uh, through cryptocurrencies and uh, and uh, most notably through Bitcoin. But I can see more tectonic shifts in finance, in investment, and also in geopolitics. And that is why I think uh, central bank digital currencies uh, is of utmost importance uh, um, in these fields. So my presentation is uh, is based on uh, uh, on my most recent publication, which is uh, which was sent to central bank uh, tenders, and uh, I hope it will be public soon. But I will share some. I will share the major thoughts from the paper with you, um, and I hope we will have a fruitful conversation, and and uh, we are very open for further discussion as well. So let's um, let's jump into it. So quartering the U.S. dollar sharing global trade. Uh, maybe this sounds uh, 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 strange at first, but uh, uh, CBDCs have the potential to transform not just global payment, as uh, Adam uh, demonstrated to you, but also trade. And, um, and uh, from trade, uh, it is able to transform uh, monetary politics, monetary policies, and, um, and other fields of finance as well. So since the dollar is the most dominant currency in payment, in forex reserves, and in forex trade, uh, CBDCs uh, through payment and trade could replace uh, its dominant status with local currencies and, um, 
and and that is why it is a it is a huge topic. Um, and secondly, the about the title. So, digital Ramnimbi gained uh, popularity by by media most recently in the during the springtime. Um, so you could read from Financial Times, from Politico, and from uh, major political and uh, economical sites that that the, that the Chinese digital Ramnimbi is the is the is the biggest threat to the dominance of the U.S. dollar, and um, and in uh, many headlines uh, was uh, many that headlines were written about it. So I venture to demonstrate uh, in my paper and in the presentation that uh, China is just the major driver against the entrenched uh, system of euro dollars, but not but not the renminbi itself is the is the biggest uh, challenge against the euro dollar, but. Uh, the, the Chinese CBDC system is the is the is the biggest challenge against the current status quo of of, uh, of reserve currencies. So so that is one that is a that is a sec second point of the presentation. And the third one is that uh, as you can see in the subtitle that that uh, we should be aware that there are many many global CBDC projects underway. Both retail and wholesale, uh, as Adam uh, uh, showed it to you in the in the previous presentation. Yeah, so every country which is uh, researching or piloting CBDCs or 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 uh, or went live with the CBDC uh, are very very careful. But we shouldn't ignore the fact that uh, these central and digital currency projects. Could be interoperable one time uh, with each other, and uh, and uh, as Adam uh, said, uh, it has uh, many many economic uh, benefits. But uh, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's much like uh, a political decision at first, at, and uh, and uh, and the decision makers of each country. Uh, could have political perspectives on top of improving the cross-border interbank payment system. So that is why uh, central bank digital currency uh, opens uh, uh, many, many new universities uh, in the field of, of finance and, and macroeconomics. So uh, let's start um, uh, the next slide, uh, continue with the next slide. Next slide. So, um, I mentioned uh, the, the Chinese uh, digital currency, and uh, um, we'll start from uh, from the from the purpose of China that uh, uh, it is in, that it is intended to internationalize the Chinese renminbi, and um, for this uh, they established uh, an initiative which is called the Bat and Road Initiative or One Bat One Road uh, Project, as uh, Adam said previously. And and uh, maybe you heard about this project, but uh, if you haven't, uh, just imagine an umbrella uh, uh, which the Chinese uh, established, and uh, um, under this umbrella. Every economic and um, and um, and technology projects is uh, uh, are thrown uh, under, and um, and and the main aim of the Belt and Road Initiative is to uh, uh, initiate uh, trade co cooperations and uh, um, and and integrating the uh, the global trade in a, in a more effective way. So that is about uh, that is BRI about. But BRI is a huge topic, and um, and uh, it has many many angles. 
one angle is the renminbi versus the dollar angle. So, so the so that we can see the fight between the Chinese renminbi and the U.S. dollar. Um, I analyzed that uh, uh, since the 2008 financial crisis, uh, China uh, tried to internationalize the renminbi in many many different ways. Uh, they established the swap lines with half of the world. Uh, they provided uh, uh, almost as many loans as the World Bank uh, to the emerging markets. And, um, and, and, uh, and the Chinese renminbi was uh, taken up to the, to the IMF's special drawing rights basket. So, so the Chinese had many attempts uh, uh, in case of internationalizing the renminbi. But as you can see in this table, uh, they were less successful uh, uh, till these days because the share of the renminbi in, uh, in, in forex trade in uh, official forex reserves or in uh, global payments is just marginal uh, uh, till uh, recent days. Um, and, uh, and the Chinese uh, and China experienced that despite the size of their huge economy, uh, the renminbi's share in, in, in global finances is still very, very limited. So they asked about themselves that, cannot we join a club? No, uh, the answer was. So they said, let's establish uh, our own club. So that is why uh, in, in uh, 2014, they started researching uh, their central bank digital currency with, uh, with their central bank, the, the People's Republic of China, which is abbreviated by the PBOC. Um, so it all, it all started uh, seven years ago. And, um, and the next date, which is uh, very remarkable, it's, uh, it's um, uh, 2019, when, the, when Facebook's Libra project uh, came into light and, uh, and, and the media was very loud with this topic. And um, around those times, uh, China uh, just made public their uh, research and initiative. And uh, since then, uh, it, it, um, it gained, um, uh, a lot of uh, popularity. And then uh, in 2020, um, it was public that uh, they started a, a retail pilot project uh, in Shanghai uh, in, in four major cities uh, like Shenzhen, uh, Chengdu, uh, and so on. Uh, and the next target date is uh, 2022 uh, uh, in the winter times, which is the uh, Winter Olympic Games in Beijing. And uh, as you may know, uh, their intention is to get ready with the retail Chinese CBDC and, uh, and not just uh, uh, resident people, but also tourists and uh, business travelers from foreign countries uh, will be able to use the, the Chinese uh, CBDC in China. Um, and yeah, um, the, the, the future dates uh, um, uh, will contain many exciting uh, um, episodes, uh, in my opinion. Uh, for example, in cross-border retail and in, in cross-border wholesale CBDC as well. So that's the uh, story from the from the Chinese perspective, and uh, and China was uh, we can say the first uh, country or first major country which was researching CBDCs, and um, 
and their research projects started with a political uh, motive. Um, and the first political motive was to control their domestic financial money supply. Because as you may see uh, in, this, uh, uh, in this chart, uh, um, there are about 800 million people from the 1.3 billion people in China who use mobile phone for uh, payment in China. And uh, this 800 million people uh, is covered by two, uh, two private companies, Alibaba and Tencent, uh, with their uh, mobile applications. And uh, um, the value of, of mobile payments is around uh, $50 trillion. So, um, so uh, I hardly can say any comparable uh, uh, things to it, but it, it's a huge value. And uh, maybe it's a surprise, but this number dwarfs the US mobile payment uh, market. Uh, it, 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 it's more than 10,000 uh, times the, US, uh, the US's uh, mobile payment uh, industry. So it's a huge uh, share. And, uh, and China's first, uh, um, purpose was to control the domestic financial money supply. The second purpose was to be uh, to become uh, independent or less dependent on the on the U.S. dollar, uh, which which uh, uh, which caused a deeper recession to them uh, during the 2008 and 9 financial crisis. Uh, so these domestic and international uh, purpose. Uh, 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 drove China uh, in this in this past to to um, to establish a retail and uh, and uh, and the cross border uh, CBDC uh, for them and it can be used under the Belt and Road Initiative for internationalizing the revenue. Okay, uh, but how does geopolitics and uh, and central bank digital currencies uh, connect with each other? Um, as uh, Adam uh, evidenced uh, to you, uh, wholesale CBDCs uh, could make uh, uh, cross-border payments more effective, uh, uh, cheaper, uh, quicker, uh, more transparent, and, and so on. Um, it's, it's one thing, but uh, we should be aware that central bank digital currencies could provide um, a dependent uh, field, a dependent corridor for making payments and 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 uh, executing uh, uh, trade. So, so that is why uh, that is why uh, we should analyze the the geopolitical and macroeconomic effect of it. So, first of all, since CBDCs could be uh, or CBDC transactions could be executed outside the SWIFT or the US-based chips system and um, um, it's a huge um, counter weapon because uh, the US or the EU uh, use sanctions against uh, uh, against some countries during these uh, SWIFT and chips uh, uh, um, financial message transporting system. Um, so, so the financial, financial sanctions through the US dollar could be marginalized uh, if countries establish uh, their own CBDC system. And it's fully, it can be fully independent uh, from the existing financial system as well. Um, another point is that uh, 
taking the example of China. China could invite uh, other Belt and Road uh, Initiative members uh, to, to join their CBDC club. So many countries could be uh, tempted uh, to establish a CBDC in order to um, uh, in order to get out of the control of, of, of the US or the EU uh, surveillance system. And um, okay, there are many, many other uh, uh, financial privacy questions uh, unanswered, but uh, from a political or geopolitical perspective, um, it can be a huge uh, temptation. Um, in theory, it's, um, it's not evidence, but uh, with the CBDC, countries could establish partially open capital accounts uh, as well, which means that, uh, uh, which could mean that uh, the countries can, um, um, can decide which portfolio or, or, uh, or private uh, money flows uh, should enter the country uh, uh, of a given country. And that's a huge asset uh, as well. So um, the, the dollar or the or other reserve currency denomination or invoicing of trade uh, could change. So uh, countries for, uh, let's say, commodity trades or, or uh, resource trades or goods trade uh, don't need to use dollar uh, for invoicing their uh, trades. Uh, because the, C the wholesale CBDC, the local currencies are able to execute those trades without the US dollar or the, or the euro. So uh, one consequence is that the weights of local currencies can increase in, in, in global trade uh, on the expense of the US dollar. And uh, as I said in the, in the introduction, uh, if payment and trade is, uh, uh, is revolutionized, are revolutionized, then other areas of finance uh, are affected as well. For example, uh, the foreign exchange reserves of central banks, the forex trade, the debt finance, and the whole international monetary system could, could go through tectonic changes if, uh, if central bank digital currencies are applied. And um, finally, I had some uh, quick uh, back of the envelope calculations, and uh, um, and I calculated that uh, uh, China uh, uh, China accounts for the uh, for one fourth of of the global trade, and uh, uh, the global trade is around uh, twenty trillion dollars, and uh, China has a trade number of. Four trillion dollars uh, without the U.S. trade figures, so it's about a quarter of of this global trade figure. And um, assuming that um, the Chinese trades are mostly executed in in dollar, uh, if all the if, if China and all the Chinese trading partners would execute trade uh, in local CBDCs, then the share of the U.S. dollar could rapidly fall around uh, by twenty percent. Uh, that's a um, that's a um, it's a pessimistic scenario, but a one uh, real scenario. And then, if we assume that uh, um, then um, then the share of of uh, um, that every foreign trade could be executed in CBDCs, and the U.S. has around twenty percent share in global exports, then uh, then the U.S. dollar sharing global trade could. Uh, uh, could be quartered 
from this uh, 40 uh, percent that I demonstrated to you in this uh, table. So CBD in a nutshell, CBDCs have the potential to uh, to um, to make uh, the current share of uh, um, of reserve currencies uh, to to their fractions, and 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 that is a huge macroeconomic topic. Um, I won't uh, dig deep uh, into the numbers. Um, we talked about it uh, in this uh, section, but uh, what I want to highlight is that uh, is that the South Asian uh, market or the region is is the is the leader uh, in the development of of central bank digital currencies, both in both in the retail side and in the wholesale side uh, as well. So. Mm, to sum up, uh, um, seven uh, uh, seven Southeast Asian countries uh, um, are among the top uh, CBDC developer uh, countries in the world. Yeah, and finally, uh, let's say the geopolitical map of of CBDCs. Mm, uh, it's um. Uh, it was elaborated by myself and uh, it, with, uh, with its uh, um, circular motifs and, and straight lines. Um, I ventured to demonstrate how the wholesale Ramnimbi CBDC uh, could, uh, uh, could flood the world and, uh, and establish new payment and trade relationships. Uh, and um, these abbreviations are very important uh, partnerships, uh, global partnerships uh, in the world economy. Um, uh, one short uh, side note, uh, as you may know, the Chinese like playing Go. You know, Go is a similar game to chess. And uh, Go is a game of encirclement. And, um, and you can see that maybe the, the Chinese digital currency or central bank digital currency could be the Go attack against the uh, against the US dollar or the euro dollar uh, financial system uh, with its uh, uh, circular uh, motives. So um, the first category includes uh, uh, major uh, deals in the world economy. Uh, the first one is the regional comprehensive economic agreement, which was signed by the, by the 15 uh, Southeast Asian uh, members. And uh, the aim of this deal is to um, integrating uh, trade and, and, and making uh, trade more effective by eliminating or, or, or decreasing taxes in the region. And um, I guess that um, making uh, trade more effective uh, could be done via CBDC. So as uh, we saw in these, uh, in these uh, charts or tables, uh, it is not an accident. So the Southeast Asian economies are, uh, are, are advanced in this uh, CBDC development. So we can safely assume that uh, in a few years time, trade will be executed in wholesale CBDCs in the Southeast Asian region. Uh, another important uh, partnership is the is this OBOR or one bat one road or or or, or other called the bat and road initiative. Uh, by now, it contains uh, almost 140 uh, countries. Uh, so one day, uh, trade among these countries uh, in the bat and road initiative uh, could be executed by or CBDC, uh, which is. Uh, driven by China.
Um, and uh, another assumption is that commodity exports, uh, for example, oil export to oil exports from uh, from the Arabian countries to China could also be executed uh, in wholesale CBDCs and not in uh, US dollar. And um, the evidence, and it, and it can be um, strong evidence that uh, that the United Arab Emirates uh, just recently joined the uh, multi CBDC bridge initiative, uh, uh, which is a CBDC uh, initiative by uh, uh, Thailand, Hong Kong, China, and the United Arab Emirates under the uh, under the. Supervise, supervisory of the Bank of International Settlements. So uh, it's not just a fairy tale that uh, that commodity exports could be executed with wholesale CBDCs. Because why would the United Arab Emirates join to to a Chinese uh, project in in CBDC? Um, uh, the other options are uh, the CIPS and SWIFT. They are uh, um, payment and settlement systems, as you as you may know. But uh, um, these are uh, these these cover uh, the whole world. So uh, we can assume that CBDC will be interoperable to to CIPS and SWIFT, and uh, it can it can increase its its weight in in the global economy. Uh, the other important uh, ones are Union Pay, which is a payment company. Union Pay is present in about 180 countries in the world, so we can also assume that uh, Chinese retail CBDCs uh, will be uh, usable in in, uh, in 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 the countries all over the world where Union Pay is present. And uh, one. Fun fact is that McDonald's or Starbucks uh, take part uh, in the in the retail pilot projects of uh, China. So we also can uh, assume that that if if China allows to use retail Chinese CBDC in China, then why wouldn't it allow to use uh, Chinese retail CBDC in Europe or or Russia or America? So. Um, for Chinese tourists. So uh, these are potential channels in which uh, the Chinese uh, uh, digital renminbi could flood the world. And the one last thing is this uh, DSR or digital silk road. It's, a, it's an angle of, of, of the one bad one road. And it's about uh, that China is helping uh, poor or less developed countries to establish uh, telecommunication infrastructure or artificial intelligence uh, uh, platforms um, in order to have their surveillance activities in these uh, uh, less developed countries. But um, uh, why wouldn't these projects uh, denominated in in, uh, in in digital renminbi or in or or wouldn't be executed in in, in CBDCs? So these are just theories, but uh, there are strong assumptions that they could be real reality in in some years time. And uh, finally, so as you mentioned, uh, and Adam also uh, highlighted to you, there are uh, many uh, CBDC projects uh, around the world, and Adam demonstrated the wholesale ones uh, uh, to you. The wholesale projects are uh, highlighted with uh, uh, with blue or with uh, purple uh, color. So, um, so. It, so in theory, if if these CBDC projects uh, 
will uh, connect and will be interoperable with each other, it could totally transform the, the global financial uh, system. And yeah, uh, to, sum, to sum up my uh, presentation, um, I expect that uh, a new order in global payments uh, uh, will emerge through uh, CBDCs. Their economic effects are proved. Uh, and their political uh, considerations uh, are just uh, underway, but um, um, but 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 politics is is a very strong uh, motive uh, behind CBDCs, and um, and the potential new adoption and connection of CBDC projects uh, could could transform uh, uh, the world of finance. Yeah, it it contains many risks. So the, uh, the current uh, fund flows and money flows couldn't be monitored. The financial stability should be reinterpreted and, um, and the dollar weaponization would be marginalized. So, so that is why it is very important to set global standards and, and creating rules as soon as possible because uh, the Pandora's box could be opened and, 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 and things could get out of control. But it's a very pessimistic scenario. Um, and yes, I said interoperability and CBDC connections uh, could reshape economic and political relations. And uh, as uh, China is the leader uh, among major economies in CBDC development, and, and Southeast Asia uh, contains the, the most advanced uh, projects, we, uh, we should follow this region to understand the future of, uh, of finance and, and macroeconomics. So thank you very much for uh, listening to me. Any questions now? Awesome. Uh, so thanks a lot for the great presentation. Uh, I would propose then we can have like a two, three minutes uh, questions or five minute questions, uh, if you wish. Any questions now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I cannot hear anything. Uh, so if there's no more question, I hope there's no more question uh, because again, I'm a little bit behind like in, in 30 seconds behind the streaming, uh, then I would propose, uh, I would have a presentation a little bit more on the technical side, and then we can have longer uh, questions and answer sessions uh, basically at the, end of the, at the end of the session, okay? So basically, uh, uh, sorry, there's one question, when will be the paper out and where can, where can we find it? Uh, I would propose that we let me answer this question at the end, uh, basically in the question and answer session. Uh, we, we're not going to forget it, uh, for sure. Uh, 
So, uh, what I'm gonna have is to have a little bit more in details some of the CBDC technical considerations. And uh, I'm, I try not to be very much uh, scientific, but I hope I can co cover a couple of uh, important points. So this is actually an old slide. Uh, it was somehow like uh, three years ago. Uh, this is like a comparison between Bitcoin and CBDC. And well, of course, this comparison is not 100% correct because I mean, uh, you might ask, so do we really need to compare Bitcoin with CBDC? So do we really need like CBDC with, with blockchain? Uh, and the answer is not necessary, but I mean, despite it's an introduction, it might be a good idea to to just make some comparison basically between the two technologies. So we can compare the stuffs like, we can have like two layers independently if we, if we speak about uh, like on like on blockchain or on or on some other topics and this is two layer is usually one is the infrastructure uh, infrastructure and the second layer is basically let me just call it as, as the application so if we have two these two layers and again so it, usually we we regard it as, as some, some some kind of blockchain infrastructure infrastructure and the application, but it might be some other payment solution as well. So if we regard these two points, then we can say that Bitcoin is, is very much decentralized, basically, uh, both from an infrastructure perspective and from an application perspective as well. I mean, application is basically sending transaction from, from one, one people to another one, basically. Um, if we regard CBDC, it's much more centralized much more centralized, especially on the infrastructure side. So we don't have the either blockchain notes or payment notes anywhere in the world, but just with some, some very special dedicated companies, very, very special payment providers and financial institutes. Um, in terms of applications, like sending transactions from one to another one, um, CBDC probably not as public as Bitcoin because it has some limitations like, you know, I mean, uh, especially in QIC or, or AML or perhaps geographical limitation. But despite even a transactional level on an application level, CBDC try to capture probably as many people as possible. So it's, it's pretty open. Um, there's some other points as well. It's like the, you know, the governance of, of the system. So like, if you say like, what's the monetary, policy behind Bitcoin, we get like 21 million Bitcoin and that's that's the that's the hard cap of, of Bitcoin. Uh, actually, this is not exactly true because I mean, this this is of course hard coded in the code, but it can be actually changed supposing that everybody agrees or every miner agrees basically in the community. So it is said to be a hard cap, but I mean, to put, put it with a little bit other words, it can be set with the help of a very broad community agreement. Um, on the contrary, CBDC is something which is usually, I mean, the monetary policy uh, will be somehow somehow set uh, by by central bank or by an agreement of different different financial institutes. So I would say that such a monetary policy agreement is set by a smaller group of, of people or, or institutes, basically. Uh, there's something as geography. Uh, geography is, is a Bitcoin. I mean, it's basically it's scaled up to the to the whole world. Uh, regarding CBDC, it's gonna be more located on uh, to one location, to one country. 
but I mean, as we just seen practically in the in the last presentation, as we saw in the last presentation, I mean, many countries try to extend this CDBDCB beyond uh, beyond its geographical limit. So it might be more broader than 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 basically just one country. Uh, there's something as storage. Uh, it's pretty much questionable how the storage look like in Bitcoin. There's a private key. If I have the private key, I have the money. In CBDC, there are different ways of, of doing this. There can be like a private key based, uh, token based solution, uh, but there can be a more classical way, like similar to having a bank account at the moment. Uh, regarding the application and transfer side, basically, I mean, everybody can transfer Bitcoin uh, uh, from a technical po uh, point of view. Uh, in terms of CDDC, this is more, it's going to be more uh, limited uh, with some, some KYC and email, email pro, uh, policy, uh, probably. And there's the last aspect is the, is the operation, but I think it's going to be pretty much the same. So, I mean, all systems got uh, today's like 99.999% uh, uh, uptime. So, this is not such a huge difference. Uh, I got one more one more slide. Uh, this is like a little bit comparing like like different, uh, I wouldn't say financial in uh, instruments, but like, you know, I mean, crypto financial instru instruments and CBDCs. Uh, and then we got like one, two, five, six different uh, here. The first one is the central bank issue. The second one, if if that's financial instruments, I don't say money because um, it has some more uh, specific terms. But let me just say, if the financial instruments has uh, is a legal tender somewhere, if the financial instrument is is central bank backed, uh, if it is if, if it is pegged to a, a fiat currency. So if it is uh, if it is in parity uh, regarding of price stability uh, one to one to a fiat uh, currency, if it is peer to peer, and if it is programmable, basically, and having these six dimensions, we can compare some of the financial institutes. So we got cash. Uh, I mean, a lot of people don't like cash, uh, but I think cash is a good technology, even if it's not digital. It is basically central bank, bank issued. It is a legal tender. Central bank pegged. Uh, it is it is fiat pegged. I mean, it is a fiat money, of course. It is peer to peer. Uh, it has actually a couple of like uh, good anonymity and pseudonymity properties as well. Unfortunately, it is not digital and not not, uh, not programmable. So hopefully, uh, like retail CBDC, we're gonna cover just in a second what's exactly retail CBDC. Retail CBDC will cover all of this uh, all of these aspects. Uh, in the future, or perhaps already in initiatives as well. Uh, it's important to compare some, some other financial assets as well. So we can have something as a synthetic CBDC. Synthetic CBDC is not issued by the, by the central bank, and it might not be used in legal tenders, but it is issued by, by uh, for instance, so-called e-money providers, providers. But it is backed by a central bank. It is it is packed to the fiat money, so it is, it is imperative one uh, with fiat money. It is peer-to-peer -peer and programmable digital money. Uh, if we compare it with some other uh, such financial instruments, if we have like asset-backed stable coins, uh, that's like uh, USDC or Tether, if you're familiar with the crypto words. So the, these are such an instru instruments that are basically 
of course not final uh, central bank issued uh, they can't be used at the moment as far as i know in legal tenders uh, they are not backed by central banks um, they can be actually fiat pegged so like usdc is a is a stable currency or tether is a stable currency so it is somehow pegged to a fiat uh, to dollar for instance um, it is realized i mean they are realized with a peer to peer system uh, it's it's blockchain uh, uh, in this in this examples and they are very much programmable uh, at this moment and last but, last but not least we can have something as the as a crypto asset, asset as a classical crypto asset, it's like uh, Bitcoin or or or, or Ether. Uh, they have the properties peer-to-peer programmable uh, very strongly, but of course they do not really have the the other other attributes, the other properties. So going a little bit more into uh, into technical terms, um, what we can take a look, of course, uh, is the levels of the system. And regarding CBDC and levels of the systems, uh, usually we can we can talk about two different kinds of systems. Uh, there's the one-level CBDC and the two-level CBDC. So you can see something in this, which is I think more more common. But you know, I'm I'm not a financial expert actually. Uh, so what you can see here basically is a, is a two-level a two-level system. Uh, we got like like a central bank somewhere. This is actually the digital dollar uh, project. So we got this federal res reserve uh, at the top of the picture. And then there's actually one system uh, which is called CBDC, which uh, makes transaction uh, between different financial institutes and the central bank. So this is a pure uh, institutional uh, CBDC system. And there's another one as well. The other one makes some transactions, some some services between between financial institutes like commercial banks and basically end users. And there's there can be actually a strong distinguishing uh, between between uh, between the institutional version and the end user version. Uh, so it's not absolutely coincidentally that that we distinguish these two systems and we say, hey, this is a this is at the top, basically a wholesale CBDC, and we say for end user, end user digital currency, that's it's kind of a retail CBDC system. Um, it's because I mean the two system might have totally different system, totally different uh, technological uh, realization, even even different technologies and and platforms. So we we might as well have something as a as a blockchain for for retail uh, for retail CBDC. And having an absolute classical, uh, classical something, classical, uh, uh, classical uh, money system, uh, money transfer system for for wholesale CBDC, or on the contrary, uh, we might as well have a wholesale CBDC uh, practically for interbanking communication and interbanking value transfer, but despite despite we use something as cash on an end user side. So all these scenarios are possible. And this is a so-called two-level systems uh, system. Uh, there's another possibility of having one-level system as well. In one-level system, practically a central bank uh, has direct uh, direct service uh, for end customers, for end users. Um, I think it's uh, perhaps in Sweden, if I'm not mistaken, not a two-level but a one-level system is is considered rather. Uh, it has 
I mean, on the one hand, it, it has more technical challenges uh, because, I mean, one system should cover all, uh, which might be more difficult uh, to design. On the other hand, uh, so people usually don't like the vulnerable system because, I mean, if central banks uh, do direct operations with end customers, then there might be some intermediaries in the middle that are no longer necessary. So it might cause the whole structure of the of the financial market. Uh, I mean, going a little bit in a wide direction, uh, which should be avoided uh, for sure. So this is the two levels. We got wholesale and we got we got like uh, retail uh, having different uh, implications uh, for the technology, of course. Uh, this is another uh, distingu distinguishing point. Uh, I mean, and here is the question is, what kind of a CBDC model do we have? Uh, basically, we get like two major uh, uh, ideas or two major versions. One is a token-based model. A token-based model is just like cash. So basically we got like two parties or we got like two people and then they can just exchange a kind of token, uh, which is like a, like a piece of paper or a piece of money. Uh, and they can do it without too many, I would say, I wouldn't say absolutely without, but without too many uh, intermediaries uh, almost directly. So if you just consider consider this uh, this kind of model, then basically uh, here, I mean, if you consider cash, cash is, cash is uh, basically exchanged directly. So there's no intermediary at all. Uh, similarly, if you have here like uh, cryptocurrency, then then there's basically a network uh, that settles uh, that transaction, but basically that that network is is pretty much autonomous, uh, can't be really influenced, or can't be really done anything with it. So we can say that uh, if this token is basically a cryptocurrency, then we have almost no intermediary basically for the exchange. Uh, the other model is the account-based one. Uh, in the account-based one. Uh, it's it's more like the banking system at the at the moment. Um, so basically, we get two parties. The two parties want to want to exchange basically some kind of a value, and then it looks that way that a party goes to a goes to an operator. We can say operator. It's usually a commercial bank and say, hey, I want to I want to make some value transfer. So operator one makes the value transfer for the operator two, and then operator two basically makes some accounting on the on the account of, of party B. This is actually party B, not party A anyway. Uh, so this is like an account-based model. It's much more based on basically uh, intermediaries, uh, trusted intermediaries uh, than the other one. Let me just take a look in my chat in the middle. So this is the classical two type of CBDCs. And I would say it has some implication on the technology as well. Um, because like considering an account-based model, uh, you don't necessarily need a, you don't necessarily need blockchain for an account-based model. Uh, so it can it can work very well without any problems with the with the with the nowadays uh, financial institutes and and actually uh, money transfer technologies. Uh, actually, there's a surprisingly, especially especially in in horses CBDC. Uh, there's initiatives uh, to put distributed ledger into account-based uh, CBDC models as well. Um, and especially it looks that way that basically 
uh, enhances CBDCs, what's happening in an account-based model. It's not end users, but it's basically financial institutes or banks exchanging IOU models or IOU, kind of an IOU contracts. And the administration of these IOU contracts uh, can be realized pretty efficiently uh, with a couple of uh, uh, distributed ledger technologies, like with the help of our free corda. Um, we're gonna cover that a little bit later. Uh, but if you consider like token model, I would say token model uh, in token basically chain based technology provides a lot of a lot of very good properties for a token model. So in token model, if you have something as a digital signature for the exchange, if if the if the token that you exchange is you know I mean more like a poker jeton or, or, or basically more like a, a piece of money, uh, it can be much better handled uh, actually than, than some, some, some other abstraction. Um, if you have basically a ledger where you can take a look on all of the movements of your token and, and, and verify all of your move, movement of your token, that might, that might help a lot as well and so on and so on. So I would say uh, considering the token model, uh, probably the one of the best solution is to consider some kind of a hybrid blockchain solution. Uh, with account model, uh, it's not so much necessary. So this was basically an int introduction. Uh, let me just take a look some some more design considerations. Uh, so like we can have several general uh, 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 categories. One category might be like the architecture of the whole IT architecture behind the whole stuff. Uh, supposing uh, we are speaking about IT architecture, then I mean the important stuff are if it's an account or a token-based model, uh, basically it can be a hybrid one as well. So if you just consider that we, we want to build a two-level system, then we might as well say that the, hey, the wholesale part will be actually account-based, but the, but the retail will be token-based. So that might be a possibility as well. Uh, the most important question, and, and this is a very good and very general question, is if it's centralized or decentralized. Uh, I would say the question is not so easy. It's, it's, it's never centralized or decentralized. It's, it's the question is how much it is decentralized or how much it is it decentralized. So it won't be uh, something on the edges, but something in the middle. And then centralized or decentralized can be asked not just for one property of the system, but actually for a lot of a lot of stuffs. So, for instance, how much is the infrastructure centralized or decentralized? How much is the uh, are the end users? I mean, the users of the transactions are centralized or decentralized? That be question. Uh, the governance of the system. Uh, how much is the governance of the system? centralized or decentralized, like setting the issuance policy of the of the uh, given CBDC token, uh, who needs to be decided for that if you want to do something that, how much is that decision process centralized or, or decentralized? Uh, what about upgrading the system? I mean, having a new version, a new IT version of the system, uh, who can decide if a new IT version should be installed or not? How much that decision-making process is centralized or decentralized? So I would say this topic basically affects a lot of things. It's, it's just not so easy uh, 
to uh, to analyze this uh, this attribute. The next one is basically security. So security is a very complex question as well. Uh, basically, in, in like uh, blockchain systems, uh, you can see there are like three sources of security. And then if you use blockchain, then we can analyze these three sources of security. Uh, first, we got cryptography. So basically, it looks that way. We have a complex system, which is basically uh, a CBDC or even two CBDCs. Uh, having the wholesale and the retail stuff as well. And then there are certain properties of this system. Um, and then these certain parts or properties of the systems can have different security guarantee. So again, one, one possible security guarantee is that we have cryptographic security uh, for certain parts of the systems. Like for if we want to start basically a transaction, we can have something as a, as a digital signature. That's a, that's a cryptographic guarantee for a certain system security. Uh, we can have something as, as economic security guarantee, like for instance, in public blockchain systems, there's the so-called uh, uh, economic security margin, if I'm not mistaken, that's the correct name. Uh, it means that for instance, in Bitcoin, uh, for double spending a coin, there's no cryptographic guarantee, only economical. So you can do double spending, it costs you so much money that it's not profitable, but this is not a cryptographic guarantee, only, only an economical, basically. And then, especially in consortium blockchains or like in CVDs as well, we can have something, something as institutional guarantee as well. So like instead of double spending in Bitcoin uh, and having an economical guarantee, we might as well say that, hey, for double spending, basically in a CBDC uh, setup, there's an institutional guarantee. You can double spend, but majority of the of the financial institutes must agree on that, and then you can double spend. That's a classical uh, classical uh, institutional guarantee. So basically, analyzing security is such a complex task, task uh, as as analyzing centralization and decentralization. The next one is interoperability. Uh, it's just in one word or one sentence. Uh, in a CBDC, I mean, a CBDC should practically collaborate with, uh, cooperate, sorry, cooperate with everything uh, on the in the countries. So, I mean, I mean, basically, all the current somehow value value transfer systems, money money systems, and all the stuffs that are somehow uh, attached to any kind of money moving uh, IT functionality must be interoperable uh, with the architecture. So yeah, it's not such an easy task. Uh, more like blockchain or non-blockchain uh, question is performance. Of course, CBDC must have like, I don't know, I would say at least like uh, uh, 10,000 transactions per second. Uh, pub especially public blockchains uh, do not perform very well in uh, in such a performance uh, so like the bitcoin has like i don't know at most seven transactions per second uh ethereum is public ethereum is like 15. Uh, they are of course not really suitable for a cbdc use case in this in this version another topic is privacy or transparency uh it's like blockchain systems weren't exactly designed uh for for having the same privacy or transparency uh, guarantees uh, that are that are classical in, in like uh, classical financial institutes. 
So there can be a lot of a uh, lot of issue here, uh, issue here certainly. I will just cover the the rest three in, in one category. Uh, so one big aspect is basically if we, I mean, if I say CBDC, uh, of course, I mean it's the question is what's the category that we that we that we regard. But if I say CBDC, I just don't mean that we we got something as a digital money uh, moving from from place A to B. Uh, what I'm thinking of is that there's kind of a financial infrastructure that is programmable, has has in a kind of sense smart contracts, and basically you can do like tokenizations uh, on a short run, or you can do any kind of uh, further use cases that are coming. So if you just uh, take a look what's happening on the on the public blockchain space, basically people are defining DeFi decentralized finance, uh, NFT tokens, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and of course, uh, especially in a public blockchain area, they are very much in, a, in an ex experimental phase, but supposing that it is already visible that some of the like DeFi protocols will succeed and can be adapted uh, to, to like in a, in a CBDC framework as, as well, or some of the NFT token, for instance, uh, use cases, really succeed and can be adapted uh, to, 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 to a CBDC context, then it will, be, it will be a very, very big advantage if we can adapt them. So if we have a CBDC system, which is programmable, if you want to uh, program like NFT, it's possible. If you want to do kind of a DeFi protocol in a more regulated context, it is possible. And so on and so on. If there's such a use case which we don't even see at the moment, because it will be coming like in in five years in the in the DeFi space, uh, but could be adapted to a CBDC context, then it's important that the system uh, is capable of adapting such a use cases. So this is like the architecture consideration. Uh, I got some policy considerations as well. I'm I'm not so much in the policy, but they. Uh, I'm not so much expert in the policy, sorry, uh, to put it, uh, put it put it exactly. Uh, but these policy considerations uh, might affect very strongly the uh, the technology as well. So again, centralized versus decentralized, that's a very complex question, including road architecture and, and policy. Governance is again a very, very complex system uh, uh, covering uh, practically a lot of, lot of aspects of the system. Of course, I mean, uh, I mean, token issuance and token supply is a question. Uh, is there a programmable issuance or supply of the of the digital token of CBDC, or is it decided by by some policymakers? Then the question is, who are the policymakers? Uh, supposing there's there's new token in the system, who gets it first? Uh, or supposing that we want to not increase the supply but decrease the supply it can be actually managed uh, technically. Uh, so so what do we do in, in that situation and who decides it basically? There's of course a, legal, a lot of legal implications of that. Uh, I'm not so expert in this topic, so I can't speak about it. It's usually like a social inclusiveness. Um, so basically one, one critic of the, of the classical financial systems uh, is that they are not so much social inclusive that might be possible with, with like Bitcoin. Uh, but I would say one such a design uh, decision or architecting decision might be if there's a new CBDC system, then it might be designed uh, more 
more to to regard or more to uh, more to better this this social inclusiveness inclusiveness as well. So privacy is again it's a policy and it's a technological question as well. I would have two exciting points here that might not be covered actually normally in CBDC. So one is basically offline use. So uh, it, it might be surprising that we that we speak about a fully digital currency and we speak about offline usage, but just consider the fact that I mean. There's, there's something as an internet outage. Uh, it's like a global hacking, or there's a disaster, and basically, like, like uh, uh, for two weeks, the whole—I mean, not the whole internet, but the internet of the country—is down. Um, so it is practical if CBDC has some kind of a backup solution that works, uh, even if—I mean, even if like network is down for two weeks or network is overloaded by. By uh, by distributed denial of service attacks uh, by some hacker groups, and then we do not really have practical usage of the of the internet for two weeks. Then it is not very practical if, in that case, I mean the the whole uh, the whole uh, I mean the monetary system stops. Uh, so usually there should be some kind of an offline usage. Uh, it can be I mean steal cash. That would be one way. Uh, there might be some some other brainstorming as well, like using signed transactions, even even in a printed form or something. Of course, there there are some limitations as well because I mean, we, we are, if we have a signed transaction, we can't really uh, avoid double spending. Uh, but it might work. I mean, there should be something designed which might work even in a limited case in case of in case of uh, network outage. And last, last but not least, systematic risk. Uh, so usually it is said that the financial system has some systematic risk. Uh, I can't decide it, but uh, uh, usually people say that, uh, that, I mean, so with the help of like such a CBDC systems or even cryptocurrencies, the systematic risk can be avoided. Um, I have some experience with DeFi and I would say this is not exactly true in this form so like in in DeFi, for instance even if everything is blockchain everything is cryptocurrency and basically everything is run by smart contracts there's a lot of systematic risk uh of course this risk is probably different than in the financial system but i mean this fight despite despite of cbdc despite of blockchain despite even cryptocurrency and smart contracts there will be some systematic risk uh, that should be avoided or, or made as minimal as possible. So some more aspects, uh, I already covered uh, some of these topics uh, by just uh, going through on the list very fast. Uh, so one technical requirement, it's actually another list, so uh, that's the reason. Uh, basically, I have some, some, some items uh, which you found previously. So the control of the money supply, is by either by central banks or by some 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 limited group of institutes. Uh, what's important is basically the performance, uh, and here is where actually blockchains do not perform very well. So we need something as a quasi real time asset transfer. I mean, there there can't be uh, such transaction cost like nowadays on the on the Ethereum or Bitcoin network. So it's like in such cases you pay like I don't know ten dollars. 
for making a transaction, uh, it is certainly a no-go no uh, in a CBDC use case. Uh, it's again performance, uh, we need something as a high transaction throughput. Uh, so like I would say like uh, from 10,000 transactions per second, uh, which is not easily solved by distributed ledger systems. Uh, then we need a large number of network participants. Uh, What's perhaps surprising or, or not usually mentioned is user experience and user interface. So usually if you have some kind of a blockchain system, then the user experience is, goes usually in the, in the web-free direction. Uh, web-free direction looks that way that we got like keys, uh, we generate these keys, we store these keys in, in a wallet, we are responsible for for these keys, so supposing we, we lose the key, uh, so we are responsible for backing up or restoring these keys, or basically uh, for the security of these keys. Uh, uh, so this is a strong uh, web-free uh, user experience. Uh, and what I would say, uh, surprisingly, um, slowly people, especially like in the crypto space, are adapting to this, to this user experience. So I mean, I mean, there are initiatives, of course, of course, uh, giving like classical user experience uh, in in such a crypto situations as well. But uh, but surprisingly, many many people uh, have just adapted to to having this web-free user experience, and they and they use it. But I mean, despite I wouldn't say that in like a CBDC use case, uh, a normal citizen or normal 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 people. Uh, we adapt very fast and and can use something as a web-free user experience. You know, I mean, like generating keys, storing the keys, uh, having my own wallet, and being fully responsible uh, for the security and and backup and restore uh, restore for my for my wallet. Uh, this is again one category. It's like the privacy and confidentiality of the of the data, um, especially with like uh, KYC and and EML regulation. Um, it's not easily solved or not very simple solvable in, in, in blockchain. They were not primarily designed for uh, for matching KYC or EMR regulation of, of, of classical financial institutes. There are initiatives and there are of course good initiatives, but, but this is a challenging task of course. Uh, this is regarded a little bit to, to the user experience. It's like asset recovery. So again, uh, what happens if I lose my key? Um, and then in crypto, if I lose my key, I, I, I lost my, my token, I lost my asset, I lost my money. Uh, but probably this is not something which is accepted in a CBDC use case. Um, so something for asset recovery must be considered. It can be even realized uh, actually in a, in a crypto space as well. It's like having a second key and a third key. And then if I lose my first key, then I can use my second key. And if I lose my second key, then perhaps my third key uh, is not stored by me, but by stored by some custodian uh, institutes, and then then they can actually uh, recover my asset. So there are there are workarounds for that, but it's it's despite an, an issue. And last but not least, it's the acceptable environment impact. So basically, at the moment, like Bitcoin and Ethereum networks uh, still working with proof of work uh, have such an environment impact that is that can't be really accepted on a, on a very long run. Uh, so it's not something that that can be designed for a CBDC, of course.
So I have like three more slides. And then basically the next two slides or three slides, uh, what I'm gonna cover a little bit. Uh, so these are the points actually that should be considered from a technical perspective uh, when, when, when designing basically a CBDC. Uh, and so I'm more like a blockchain distributed ledger expert. So what I collected is basically, uh, it's a couple of examples uh, of architectures uh, that were proposed for, for CBDC use cases. Um, and I know basically like three or four ones, uh, there are two on these slides. Um, so this is the first slide, and this is basically an Ethereum uh, implement, a possible imp Ethereum implementation. I'm not sure if, it's, if it is really used, but, but perhaps it is already experienced. Anyway, uh, this is a consensus proposition uses, using the Ethereum technology for CBDC use cases. And it might be surprising because Ethereum is, is not so much, I mean, it has performance problems, it has scalability problems, uh, transaction fees high, uh, asset recovery is not solved and so on and so on. So it is surprising that that Ethereum uh, gets something uh, uh, possible. Uh, but basically, there are some good ideas how Ethereum can be used uh, in a CBDC use case. Actually, this is a consensus proposal. Uh, you can find basically the link at the, at the bottom of the slide. So basically, the idea is the following. Uh, first, we get like public Ethereum. But if we don't use public Ethereum, we can use Ethereum in a consortium setup as well. Uh, consortium setups means that the, that the nodes are not running by everyone, uh, but basically the nodes uh, are, are run uh, or are running uh, in, in special financial or regulated institutes. Uh, this implies actually that the consensus algorithm uh, can be changed from like proof of work or even proof of stake to proof, proof of authority. So it means basically, basically that the network can be faster, uh, a little bit faster. I mean, it can be like 10 times or, or 20 times faster. I don't know, it's, uh, you can get like 100 or perhaps even 1,000 transactions per second. Uh, so it's not so much faster, but, but, but certainly faster actually than, uh, than at the moment with Ethereum. Uh, and then basically the idea is, uh, this is this picture represents a two-layer system uh, for CBDC. So there would be basically a consortium-based settlement layer uh, at the bottom, uh, which connects central banks and basically some, some highly important financial institutes as well. I'm not quite sure if they are commercial banks here, but, but something similar in the direction. So the problem is that basically, even if we have consortium Ethereum, this like uh, even thousand transactions per second might not be enough. So what we use is that's called a state channel. So in a state channel, what we do basically is uh, we do something as an, as an initiating transaction on a blockchain. Uh, it is, it is quite as well anchor transaction, but it isn't so important. And with this initiating transaction, we, we open a channel with a party uh, where we can transact transactions uh, like sending money or sending value or token with the party uh, without 
without having any any collaboration with the with the blockchain. So that's what happens uh, if I want to transact uh, directly with one organization. I can open basically a stationery that requires something as an anchor transaction to a consortium blockchain like here. I can send as many transactions as I want directly to that to that organization. And then basically at the end, I should somehow close this channel. So closing the channel means again, uh, having having basically a transaction on a core blockchain uh, somehow. So the basic idea of state channels is that I have like two, two transactions on a, on a blockchain on an Ethereum consortium network and basically like opening and closing the channel. And in the channel, I can have as many transactions as I want. So practically, if I can use stationers, uh, it's more like directly cooperating with, uh, between two, two organizations. But if I use stationers, first, I mean, I can have as many transactions as my bandwidth. So I can send, theoretically, if I have enough bandwidth, I can send million transactions per second. Uh, there's no such a limit. Uh, on the other hand, basically, it's more private because everything happening on that stationer is visible only on that stationer. Uh, only the the initiating transaction and the closing transaction are uh, which will be published uh, to the core Ethereum blockchain uh, blockchain protocol. So this is the second idea, and basically uh, these two ideas are used, and there's, there's basically a third idea as well. So we can build up basically Ethereum consortium Ethereum networks in a hierarchical ways. So we can have something as a side. Uh, side blockchain or side channel as well. So like having uh, having a second consortium blockchain, which has some transactions in the main blockchain, but otherwise uh, working independently. And the idea is from consensus, having a two layer, both wholesale and retail CBDC, uh, CBDC structure in a way that basically combining uh, consortium Ethereum networks with state channels and, and side channels and, and sub-blockchains. So this is one idea. Uh, the second idea is, is from a special uh, from a special uh, distributed ledger provider. It's called the R3 Corda. Uh, it is usually used in wholesale CBDC or proposed in wholesale CBDC use cases. Uh, <coughs> sorry. And the idea is actually that, I mean, R3 Corda is not a blockchain. It's a very special distributed ledger technology that was built up, uh, suit or fit as much as possible with the, with the exact requirements of, of different financial services. So the idea of R3 Corda is that we get some special properties, uh, like we don't have like, like global blockchain. We do not have like global, global ledger. But what we have is something which is called shared facts. So if you just take a look on this picture, we got like Alice, Bob, Carl, Demi, and Dad. Uh, they are they can be institutes. So so usually they are they are institutes uh, needing to uh, to collaborate uh, with some some cryptographically secure uh, ledger use case. And then if you just take a look like there's this one fact. It's it's called one or this can be actually a contract or this can be any kind of uh, information that is even cryptographically secured. So basically this one is shared by Alice and Bob, but basically this one is not visible for the other parties. 
Similarly, if you just take a look on seven, uh, it's basically visible to Alice or Alice and Bob, but it is not visible for the other parties. If you just take a look on like this free, this free effect or this free contract is visible to Carl, to Ed and Demi, but it is not visible for the rest of the network. And again, similarly, if you just take a look on this nine, nine is visible only to Carl and Ed, and basically it's not visible to Demi, to Bob and Alice. So uh, this makes some very strong privacy guarantee uh, that is that fits very well actually in a, in a OSS UDC scenario. So this is one idea effects are shared when I need to be busy, so there's no global, uh, global ledger. And there can be many, so there can be many use case configured. Uh, so as you see, for instance, if you just take a look on this fact, this number three effect, it's distributed on, on three parties. But if you just take a look on this number one fact, it's distributed just on two parties. So there can be many, many different configuration having from totally decentralized to, 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 to centralized and anything in the middle. And it can be configured, uh, which fits very well <clears throat> in a whole CBDC um, requirement. And there's one more, one more interesting point, which fits again very well. Uh, so basically it looks that way, uh, that there's this so-called contract, uh, which is not exactly a smart contract here, but contract means a normal written but digitized contract basically. So it's, uh, it's an official contract of, of some, some legislation. And basically the ledger itself is the evolution of such a contracts. So it looks that way that we get a historical contract like Bob owes Alice with 10 pounds. Then there's some change actually, uh, which is a transaction. And then Alice pays back, back like five pounds. Uh, so Alice owes Bob just by, by five pounds. And at the end, basically Alice pays back everything. So the agreement is, is, is expired. So the point is basically that these are like, like official contracts and the ledger itself is an evolution of such a contracts. And these contracts can be like, you know, I mean, if it's an IO contract to a, to a central bank, then, then we have something as, as almost as money basically uh, uh, going through on the ledger. Uh, we have something as, as notary service as well, as we do not have global broadcast. Uh, there's an notary service that makes sure basically that there's, there's no double spending and everything is correct on the ledger. And this notary service is configurable. So again, you can have something as a fully decentralized, semi-decentralized or fully centralized service uh, for such reasons. And of course, uh, for this reason, our privacy is, is again pretty good. I mean, it's simply because certain facts are not shared with certain parties. Um, so it means they are not there, uh, they, they can't be seen. So basically that's the RFI Corda Ledger and, and wholesale, as it was mentioned previously, wholesale CBDC use cases usually like uh, this technology. So basically this was my presentation. Uh, I hope I could manage to get some insight into the technological challenges of, of CBDC. And then I would switch to a question and answer a session uh, in which I'm not quite sure how I do it. Uh, but anyway, 
So if you can post me, uh, you can post any of the uh, any of the presenters. They will hear you. Uh, I will hear you in like 30 seconds delay. But if you just ask a question for me in the chat as well, I will surely see. So this was the presentation, and I will just put back basically the original uh, picture. Uh, thanks, Daniel. I just answered uh, uh, a previous question uh, uh, in in the chat, so so that's my answer for it. So, uh, if I correctly see it, we got some questions, uh, and then let me just make, let me just try to answer them. Uh, and I hope I, I did not interrupt any, anybody. So there's one question, when will be the paper out and where can be found? Uh, I think it was for one of so, you guys. Uh, if I correctly see it, we got some questions. Sorry, that was me. <laughs> that was me on YouTube as well. So uh, anyway, uh, regarding the paper, uh, I think uh, so. You will you will find basically all the all these presentations. Uh, just below the uh, meetup uh, on, on meetup.com uh, i will send the link and i think i will send the link on, on youtube as well and then as, as soon as as soon as some paper out then 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 we can update you guys as well uh, so uh just one comment it's not programming the ceiling what's really necessary just a central bank bank really money asset to escape it bridge that out to other programmable dlts yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. Uh, so how do we how do we exactly uh, regard like programmability? Uh, one way of like 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 having a like a two way two way peg uh, somehow between two blockchains, and then uh, we can make like a kind of a version of like atomic cross chain swap uh, between one blockchain and the other one. And then we we do not necessarily need like something as as programmability or smart contract. Uh, that might be one way. However, I'm not so sure if it works. If it always works. Uh, so the point is like uh, so like uh, if you want to connect two blockchains, it's like one way is the atomic cross chain swap. Uh, but that might work only in certain situations. So, like, uh, if you just exchange token, it works because uh, because there's an economic incentive of 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 making the uh, the protocol in a correct way. But if you want to extend for any kind of general use case, it might be difficult. But anyway, this is just my 
my point of view. Uh, so it might be enough instead of programmability, just connecting uh, basically uh, a CBDC with the programmable uh, DLT uh, part. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's interesting graphic uh, hybrid blockchain model. So what we what we speak of here is not so CBDC won't be realized actually with a simple uh, blockchain technology. That there won't be anything I think which is which is a pure blockchain and it's sort of CBDC. Uh, we speak of hybrid models always. Uh, so there must be some extensions. There must be some combinations and so on and so. On. Uh, yeah, I did mean R3 Corda. So uh, notary service in R3 Corda is basically, it, it looks that way. Uh, so you get a transaction, uh, you can, uh, so your ledger is basically an evolution of, of contracts. Uh, you can have a transaction that are signed by different parties. And then basically uh, you can even program how this, uh, how this flow works. So who should sign that we have basically a new contract. Uh, from the old one. And basically, uh, so notary service does two things. First, it checks like there's no double spending. Uh, second, it checks if this signature structure is correct. Uh, again, it's not so simple as like in as like in Bitcoin, there's not one signature, but you can you can somehow configure and program who should sign in one situation and so on. And and checking these stuffs is done by the notary service in, in R3 Corda. Uh, uh, submitted. Thanks for your question. Uh, okay, okay. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just reading it through. Uh, how download slide files? Uh, again, uh, we gonna update uh, below YouTube as well, and uh, basically, basically uh, uh, on the Meetup channel as well. So you will, you will find all the slides. Uh, Yeah, so you're right. Basically, this is a Hyperledger meetup. And unfortunately, I, I do not really know if there's Hyperledger CBDC uh, proposal, uh, but perhaps it's coming in a long run. So for this reason, we just went a little bit in another direction uh, and did not cover uh, a very special, uh, very special uh, Hyperledger technologies. Uh, we're gonna do it in the, in the next session. Okay, so then uh, theoretically there's something which with uh, CVDC Faris with Hyperledger Hero and more are coming. Uh, yeah, I didn't know it, uh, but then so we have like Hyperledger Hero uh, that is being experimented uh, actually uh, with, with CBDC. Actually, we we knew about one one such a, such a proof of concept uh, which with like hyperledger fabric but as far as i know it wasn't realized basically so uh, i hope i have all the questions so i just mute myself and i just give like 2 minutes if you have some more questions uh, or some some other topics uh, perhaps for the other presenters as well. Uh, just be aware that if you issue a question for me, I'm, I'm in 30 seconds delay uh, getting these, these questions.
So if there's no more question, uh, then let me just share my screen again. And then I would just like to thank you very much for your attention. And then sorry for the technical difficulties from my side. It's just, again, I mean, it's, it's one of the hottest day actually in, uh, in the region. And then somehow it affected my laptop as well. Uh, but I mean, despite, I hope it didn't cause uh, such a huge problem. So again, thank you very much for your attention. So if there's no more question, uh, then let me just share my screen again. And then I would just like to thank Sorry, uh, that was me. So again, thanks for the thanks for your attention, and then and then see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you. See you. Bye bye.